So we're actually extending our break from the book of Ephesians this morning. I wanted to continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with a small series on the resurrection. So this morning we'll be in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 34. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12. Hear now the eternal living word of God. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he has raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Well, when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. This is the word of the Lord. Like most children nowadays, my kids like to watch videos on YouTube. And while there's a seemingly endless supply of useless but entertaining videos for them to find, one thing I do enjoy watching with them is domino rallies. 
This is where someone or a team of people set up thousands, sometimes it looks like even millions of dominoes, and then knocks them all down. It's kind of fun to watch. But the most fascinating part is that all of this happens by knocking down a single domino first. And then every other domino is knocked down in sequence as a consequence of this. If all the dominoes are lined up properly, then they are all either knocked down. None of them are knocked down. It's one or the other. You can't just have one standing or some of them standing. And so this is where the term, the domino effect, comes from. It refers to a chain reaction that sets off a total effect of events that a chain of similar events. And so in our passage this morning in 1 Corinthians, Paul's arguing that denying the future physical resurrection of the body for believers has a domino effect that is essentially arguing against the Christian faith as a whole. And this brings about the question, what does the resurrection mean for us as Christians? Why is it important? Last week, we considered the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and the evidence that it's a real event that took place in history. But this week, we'll consider the significance of the resurrection. Because denying the physical resurrection of the body as something that is possible is not only contained to the first century. Our modern culture that says science explains everything, and it often denies anything that cannot be proven by the scientific method. And as for the specific bodily resurrection of Jesus, there are many who even claim to be Christians that deny outright that Jesus rose from the dead. Theologians, even pastors, denying the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so in our passage this morning, we're given three reasons why the resurrection of Jesus is crucial. The first is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to the Christian faith. That means no resurrection, then no Christianity. The second is that the resurrection of Jesus guarantees our future hope. And the third is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that our obedience and our faith are worth it. So as we saw last week, Paul opens up this chapter 15 in his letter to the Corinthians, reminding them of the gospel that he preached to them. He verifies the truth of this gospel, the historical validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He cited several sources of authority, several eyewitnesses to the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. Then... Beginning in our passage today, we see why Paul's insisting on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. In verse 12, he writes, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So last week I mentioned this. There seemed to be some people in the Corinthian church that were denying a future resurrection of the dead. And Paul is responding to this by saying, I don't think you understand what you are denying when you say that there's no physical resurrection in the future. There's a domino effect here. And when you take this domino out, it affects our whole belief system. He goes on to say in verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Paul's telling them that if you deny the physical resurrection of believers, then you deny the resurrection of Christ. 
And so the dominoes here have a massive effect. By denying the resurrection of the dead, you remove a vital organ from the Christian belief system. The Christian faith is dead without the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus. And so the first reason the resurrection is crucial is because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to the Christian faith. This Last week, I mentioned the resurrection validates our whole faith. But this week, the point is that Christianity is a waste of time if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Paul says that our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. All the things taught about God, the gospel that's being preached, become worthless without the resurrection of Jesus. So not only is everything the apostle is teaching in vain without the resurrection, but he says they're actually liars. Paul says they are found to be misrepresenting God if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead. They were proclaiming this from the moment it happened, and they claimed to see the risen Lord with their own eyes. But if the dead aren't raised, if there's no physical bodily resurrection, then all of this has been a sham, and they are just con artists. Then everything you believe about God and Jesus Christ is worthless. Your faith is in vain. If Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, you have faith in a meaningless person, someone who was killed but has no power over death. Someone who has no power to save. In verse 16, Paul mentions the domino effect. He says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we would all be just wasting our time. A dead man has no power to save you. A dead man cannot give you new life. The life we have in the spirit is only because of the resurrection of Jesus. Paul also says that without the resurrection, those who have already died are gone. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This life is not always easy. It's not always the greatest place to be, especially as a Christian. There are sacrifices to be made. Paul himself suffered relentlessly for the gospel. And if the gospel is to be made completely worthless, then we are to be pitied. But Paul doesn't dwell on this idea for too long. He changes directions in verse 20. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So while it's true that if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we're completely without hope, But the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact. It's something that did happen. The implications of life without the resurrection of Jesus are not the reality we live in. So Paul has already laid out all the eyewitnesses of this. And also he talked about how they were changed by this. They were willing to die for this. These people saw the risen Jesus with their own eyes. This isn't a game or a charade. The resurrection of Jesus is a reality. And it's a reality that alters the rest of reality. It's a truth that shakes the foundation of every other belief. The resurrection of Jesus is both the end of death's grip over humanity, but it's also the beginning of new life for humanity. Because just as through Adam, sin and death entered the world, and all of his descendants inherited 
this simple, broken nature. As Paul puts it, for as in Adam all die. But just the same, through Christ you inherit life. Through this one resurrected man there will be a resurrection of the dead. In Christ shall all be made alive. It's the same principle. Adam, as the representative of humanity, brought death to all his descendants. But those who have faith and trust in Jesus are his people. You're in Christ and you have new life in him through faith. Right now, the believers in Jesus Christ have faith in Christ and you have new spiritual life. You have that now. But also, you await the future glory of the physical resurrection and life you will have in the new heavens and the new earth. And this is the second reason that the resurrection of Jesus is crucial because the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees our future hope. Paul says that Christ is the first fruits. Now this is an agricultural metaphor that paints the picture of what Christ's resurrection means for us. The first fruits are the first crops that a farmer can gather from the harvest. And these fruits are a foretaste. They're a sure sign of the full harvest that is to come. And the first fruits are not completely different than the fruit of the full harvest. Meaning if your first fruits are apples, then that's what the full harvest will be. They will be apples, not some other product. And so this means that our resurrection will be like the resurrection of Jesus. Like Jesus, each of us will have a physical, resurrected body. Like Jesus, each of us will possess this body forever. And so just as the first fruits reveal the certainty of the harvest that is to come, the resurrection of Jesus proves that all who are in him will be raised. And so in addition to this, your hope for the future is not completely tied or it's not limited to just your resurrection and restoration and glory, but it actually will be a part of the restoration of all creation. Paul wrote that after the resurrection of all believers in verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Jesus, upon his return, will completely destroy all the enemies of God and he will restore all things. And it says in verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. He will destroy death itself. And so our future resurrection will bring us to a physical reality. And this will be an immortal reality. There will no longer be death. You will be in a glorified physical body in a glorified physical space with God for eternity. As we know from Revelation 21 that God will be with us. He will be with all believers in Christ and he will take away tears and death. You will be with God in a place where there's no more mourning or crying or pain. And this future is guaranteed through the resurrection of Jesus. This guarantees for all of those who are in Christ who believe in him. Now starting in verse 27, Paul says, For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. 
So Paul is actually quoting from Psalm 8 here. And Psalm 8 is a psalm that speaks of the creation of humanity in the image of God. And it's speaking of humanity in the image of God as God's vice regent, ruling under God over the earth. And so what we're seeing here, Paul's point, is that Christ is the first fruits of the harvest. The first of those to be eternally raised from the dead is fulfilling this promised destiny for humanity from Psalm 8. That God would place all things in submission under his feet, under Christ, and therefore under his body. The resurrection of believers at the time of Christ is just the beginning. The angle of human history is that Christ as king will be given all authority over all things. And that he will defeat all his and our enemies. Now, in verse 29, Paul says probably one of the most controversial things in the passage, maybe the whole letter. He says, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Now, what is meant here so widely disputed that one commentator counted 30 different explanations for what is meant by baptism on behalf of the dead? And this actually can be translated as baptism for the sake of the dead. What I believe the most likely explanation is that people coming to faith and being baptized because of a deceased loved one in hope of one day being united with them in a future resurrection. If that's the case, then Paul is saying, what is the point of baptizing people who believe they will be reunited with their loved ones Because if there's no future resurrection, everyone's baptism and faith is in vain. Then Paul starts to ask in verse 30, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? Paul's continuing his argument on the futility of Christianity without a future resurrection. Paul and those who are with him were constantly threatened with risk, uh, death, imprisonment. And this is because Jesus has been raised from the dead. They were willing to suffer this. The gospel they preached has life-giving power, and this is why they risked death themselves. They were given a resurrected life in Christ, and this changed them. They were willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of the gospel and Christ himself. And this is the third reason why the resurrection of Jesus is crucial. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that our obedience and our sacrifice are worth it. Any suffering you go through, any persecution, any sacrifices you have to make on behalf of the gospel, on behalf of your faith in Jesus Christ, is all more than worth it. The sacrifices you make in obedience to God are nothing compared to what awaits you. Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now Paul is referring to struggles of this life as light momentary affliction. It doesn't mean that it's not difficult. It doesn't mean that it's not hard to go through. It means that the magnitude of what is to come is so great that it makes everything you go through in this life all more than worth it. 
because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Therefore, a glorious future awaits all who put their faith in him. Through Jesus Christ, in the future resurrection, you'll be raised up in glory. You'll be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the final judgment, and you'll be perfectly blessed in the full enjoyment of God to all eternity. And so the Christian life is a call to suffer. It is a call to sacrifice. But your suffering and your sacrifice is God's way of refining you. Through to the difficulties of life, God makes you into the image of his son, and he prepares you for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that brings you into this glory. You have all the reason in the world to give your life over to Christ. There's no sacrifice that is too great to give for the gospel, for the kingdom of God, because the gospel is a hope for eternal glory. You'll be raised with Christ and you'll be with him in glory for eternity. And there's nothing that can take that away. And Paul continues, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Without the resurrection of the dead and therefore without the resurrection of Christ, you should avoid suffering in this world and just seek pleasure. Without the future resurrection, there's no hope after death. There's nothing to live for. So seeking pleasure to drown out your hopelessness would be the way to go. But the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead. Your hope for the future is secured and guaranteed. And therefore, all your sacrifice, all your suffering, all that is required of you in obedience to God is worth it. And this is assuming obedience. This is assuming that you're living a resurrected a life that has been changed because of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, it's one thing to believe. It's another thing to live it out. It's possible to know it and have your life be disconnected. And this is what Paul addresses. He commands the Corinthian church in verse 34, wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your sin. He's saying that their knowledge of the resurrection hasn't transformed them, that they're not living this resurrected life. They're living as if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, and he compares this to a drunken stupor. But God can awaken anyone he chooses. He can call you back to himself as he's doing to the Corinthian church through the Apostle Paul in this letter. God continually calls all of us, you and I, to himself. He calls you to renewal. He calls you to living out your resurrected life in loving service of him and your neighbor. And looking at Paul's call to the Corinthian church, he doesn't offer them anything more than they already have in Christ. He's just reminding them of what they already have. There's nothing more profound. There's nothing more valuable than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul's calling out their foolishness in ignoring this. He's calling out the magnitude and significance of what they're leaving behind. They don't need to search for something more in life. They have everything they need in Christ and his resurrection. All who put their faith in Jesus Christ will have a resurrected life. And this life includes eternal life with God in heaven. But it also includes the power to live a full and obedient life now. 
And so while you and I will all still struggle with sin, through the work of the Spirit, you can grow in holiness. You can grow into the image of God. You can put off anything in your heart that is pulling you down or getting in the way. You can live with a resurrected life. You can fully live a life of someone who has accepted the grace of God and has been changed by the Holy Spirit. So when you go about your life tomorrow, the rest of the week, entering into the day-to-day grind of daily life, remember what the resurrection tells you. Remember that you're part of a beautiful story with a gloriously happy ending. That God wins in the end. And all of us who are united to Christ through faith win along with him. The resurrection of Jesus gives us a picture of what the future will be like. Your difficulties in this life only overwhelm you when you think that this broken world is the only world you're going to have. But you have the greatest certainty of eternal glory that has already been validated and guaranteed through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And you've inherited this resurrection life as a gift, the gift of God's grace that is our faith in Jesus, then that through faith you can look suffering and death in the eye and see hope. Because of Jesus Christ and his work, death has been defeated and he is victorious. And you share in this victory. All who are in Christ cannot fail or consider themselves a failure. Jesus has sacrificed everything for you so that you may gain everything in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning knowing that you are an amazing God who loves us beyond comparison. It's only through your grace and mercy that we are reconciled to you, and it's only through the death and resurrection of your Son that we have new life. Strengthen us, Lord, by the power of your Spirit to live resurrected lives, that we may be your people set apart, that we may walk in the Spirit and walk in a manner worthy of what you have called us to, that we may live our lives marked by our love for you and our love for our neighbor. Lord, we know that our hope in you is an eternal hope. Our eternal inheritance is a guarantee of a glorified, resurrected life with you for eternity. So we seek, Lord, your comfort in our pains. We seek your comfort in our struggles in this world, and we hold on to the future hope that is guaranteed for all who believe in Jesus Christ, your Son, in whose glorious name we pray. Amen.